Actors Talk Podcast, Episode 50. Welcome, everybody, to Actors Talk Podcast, Episode 50. <laughs> Do I sound bad or what? Man, I can barely talk. This is Tommy G. Kendrick. I am the producer and host of our digital get-together, and I want to thank you so much for joining me. If you've been following this saga along since Christmas, you know I've been sick on and off since then, and it looks like the old allergy bug has bitten this old boy once again. So my apologies. I'll make this uh, short as possible <laughs> so as uh, not to endanger your sensitivity oh my goodness i don't i actually don't feel as bad as i sound but i i know that i sound terrible so sorry for that this is episode 50 with casting director jen rudin jen rudin has a book that came out in december and we actually recorded this episode sometime around the first of the year and i've had so many other episodes lined up in front of it we're just now getting it on the air and i'm glad we are Jen Rudin is not only a very successful and active casting director in New York City, she is the author of the book called Confessions of a Casting Director, Help Actors Land Any Role with Secrets from Inside the Audition Room. And it is a terrific book, and I hope you will enjoy the interview. We'll get to that right now because I'm about to completely lose my voice. I do want to thank all of you so very much for being Listeners to Actors Talk podcast from 130-something countries around the world. There have been downloads. I want to thank you all. We're now past 303,000 total downloads for all the episodes, pushing 304,000. Really happy that the 300,000 mark was passed with uh, terrific director Tracy Trost being my guest. I really enjoyed that episode and hope you did as well. And I think you must have because it's got about almost 14,000 downloads at this point. So thank you so much. Well, enough of that. Let me get back to the interview with Jen Rudin or get to the interview with Jen Rudin because actually my voice was okay during that interview and I want to get to that right away. So catch me on the flip side and thanks again for joining Actors Talk Podcast. All the links and everything we talk about at the show, of course, are at the website, actorstalkpodcast.com. This is Tommy, and sorry for the vocal quality, but uh, that's all I got. I'm talking with Jen Rudin. Jen Rudin is the owner of Jen Rudin Casting in New York City. She also is the author of a terrific book that I've had the pleasure of reading recently called Confessions of a Casting Director. Jen, thank you so much for being on Actors Talk Podcast. My pleasure. Not only are you a full-time casting director and have been for some time now and are very successful, but you actually started in the business as an actor. I did, yes. I was lucky enough to grow up in New York City in the late 70s and early 1980s. You probably weren't born then. <laughs> but Me? No, 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 no. <laughs> um, I'm a good I, bit I, older than you. Oh, so. <laughs> okay. Well, it's kids today. Yeah. Um, I started, I, I really wanted to be an actress. I loved the Brady Bunch. I desperately wanted to be Cindy Brady. I did not realize that the show was in syndication at the time in the late 70s. I actually wrote a 
letter to Channel 5, which was the local channel running the reruns, I soon learned, and also wanted to be on Little House on the Prairie, and Annie was on Broadway, and The Love Boat was on, and Eight is Enough. There was just a lot of television and theater in front of me, and I wanted to be an actress, so I started going to acting school at age eight, and then really started auditioning at age eight, and more seriously at age 10. So I have been on the side of being an actor, and I completely understand what actors are going through, um, having auditioned from age eight to 17. And then after college, I auditioned for a few more years as well, till I finally decided I was done. I really urge people to get this book, actors, you will enjoy this book, and you'll enjoy it not only because of the insights from the casting director point of view, but the fact that Jen was an actor for many years informs the way she does her job and the way she wrote the book. So it's, it really has a great insight from that direction. It sounds to me from reading your account of getting into acting that this was all driven by you. This wasn't some situation where your parents decided you should be an actor and forced you into it. You really led the way, didn't you? I really did. And I have to say, again, having the privilege of growing up in New York City, I think let my parents understand that they could start to take me to auditions. And it wasn't going to be such a schlep the way it was for moms and dads in the suburbs in Pennsylvania and New Jersey and Connecticut. So I think the fact that we lived in Manhattan and my mother literally had to pick me up from school and take a bus downtown to an audition made it doable for her. But I guarantee if we had lived in the suburbs, she would have said, you know, you can do it when you're 18. So it's what I did after school. And that means I stopped ballet and I stopped playing sports and I focused on running around to these auditions. And because the topic of, of uh, young actors is so personal to me and also prevalent these days, I devoted an entire chapter to stage parents for them to really learn about the nitty gritty and what it means, the budgets involved and the time it takes to take your children to auditions and how I compare it to playing soccer. You know, if you're um, sign your kid up for the soccer league, they're going to get a uniform and they're going to be guaranteed to have a season of games to play. But unfortunately, with auditions, you don't have a guarantee. There's no guarantee you're going to get the part and there's no guarantee that you're going to have 10 auditions a week. There's no guarantee at all. So, you know, they're very different worlds. And I think parents really have to understand that there's instability, excitement, possibility, promise, and yet a lot of heartbreak. And I just don't think you get that in a soccer, in a soccer league membership. <laughs> I really don't think the highs and the lows, Tommy, that's what, that's what's so um, scary about show business for everybody of all ages, young actors and grown-up actors as well. The other commitment that parents need to know, and, and they know it soon if they don't know it at the very first, is that things often happen in casting situations very quickly, especially with regards to commercials. But in everything, a parent could get a call with almost no notice saying, I need your child at this audition in an hour or in two hours or whatever. Yeah, so they have I, to be prepared to drop and run. Absolutely. And you cannot say to the, the agent, can you make it five o'clock instead of four, especially when they're first starting out. It's one thing when you're Natalie Portman and you say, hey, can you switch my meeting to a different day? But when you're just starting out, you've got to be available. And honestly, the young talent agents just want to work with parents who are ready to be there and show up at the audition because the casting director, we expect these actors to show up at the audition prepared and on time. We can't be dealing with your childcare issues and traffic at the at the tunnel. We, we need you to be there and be prompt. So it's very hard. And I say it has to be a family conversation. You can't just say as a nine-year-old child like I did, I want to audition. These days, it really has to be a family conversation to see, can the family handle it? How's the other sibling going to feel? What are you going to do with that 
five-year-old who can't necessarily, you know, is not really, they're allowed in the waiting room, but it's not preferred. Um, And how are you going to make it all work? Because you want to make your kids' dreams come true. But on the flip side, it comes with, you know, as you just said, a lot of instability and schedules that you can't control Uh, And that's asking a lot, not to mention the financial needs of trying to pursue a professional acting career for, again, anybody of all ages. The book was originally conceived as a casting director's guide for the modern day stage parent, but then HarperCollins really wanted me to open up the book and make it for actors of all ages. So I I expanded and, and just put all my stage mom's info into one chapter. Just a couple more questions about that, and we'll sort of broaden the conversation a little bit. What can parents do or if their child expresses an interest in acting, what sort of moves should they make early on to see if this is a passing fancy or if it's something that the child might really want to pursue on an ongoing basis? Sure. I think you have to bloom where you're planted. I, I firmly believe that you've got to do the community theater, the church plays, the local dance schools, and not get crazy and hysterical until some stranger comes to town or somebody spots your child in a restaurant and tells you, I think your son or daughter really has an extraordinary talent. Have you thought about auditioning? So it's hard to have perspective about your own child, but when a complete stranger stops you in a shopping mall and says, what a precocious, adorable seven-year-old. And I have been the one who has done that often. That's when you maybe start to think about things. And obviously these days, it's 2014, we have technology and the internet. Again, a huge topic, Tommy, that I I am spending an entire chapter on. Um, You can start to get involved, but I really believe you have to bloom where you're planted and do the local shows and then see how it's going before you make any steps to go to Chicago, New York, L.A. That's absolutely great information, not only for kids, but for any actor. You know, True. No, no, True. no matter the age, especially these days, Jen, there's so much work spread out across the country. I'm here in Austin, Texas. And, oh, yeah. And now that uh, I'm sure you're aware of all the film incentive things that are going on across the country. And we got beat out of that for a while. We had a great industry here just thriving and then we almost lost it because our uh, political heroes decided that people were going to come and shoot in texas no matter what and all of a sudden all the work went to louisiana and new orleans and freeport were booming Mm -hmm. and now atlanta is booming and uh, new mexico and all you know this there's work in a lot of places so when people ask me should i go to la I say, well, first of all, why don't you stay where you are and get a good bit of experience? Don't go to L.A. without your union card, because if you're like Texas is a right to work state, it's maybe a little easier to get some work and get your union card here before you make that move to Los Angeles. But go out there with something to sell. Don't just pick up and move. Uh, yeah, and, you definitely yeah. want to get stuff on your reel, too. I mean, look at all the stuff that's shooting in Atlanta and Nashville and, you know, New Orleans, uh, you mentioned. And there's re- not to mention, you know, Toronto, Vancouver and places in Canada, but there's plenty of, of local places. It's good to Google the local productions and find out who the extras casting director is and then who's doing the co-star roles. And chances are, if you can be a big fish in a small sea for a long time, you're going to work a heck of a lot more than if you go to L.A. without any connection and you know no agent you're just going to be waiting for something to happen and it, it just doesn't happen overnight and hey, let me ask you one other question going back just briefly to the, the kids thing if you were to google the term audition 
one of the first things that comes up is Disney auditions. And I know you uh-huh. I know you worked at Disney for a number of years. I did here's, for seven, yeah. Okay, here's the thing. I in, inform me a little bit and maybe some of the parents out there because there is this uh, thing, I don't know what else to call it. There are people who put on these traveling casting shows. Yes, and some yes. of them are legitimate, but some of them are just absolute scams. And a lot yeah. of times they, they throw around the, the Disney name because Disney is, is such a brand that parents believe in and want to get involved in and want to get their kids in. And some of these things that are touting Disney as they're casting for Disney and this and that, they're not at all when, when you look into it. How do people, how do people uh, figure out what's legitimate and what's not? Are there some red flags? or some green lights that they yeah, should be looking I mean, I at? Think, I think a lot, of, you know, listen, it's, it's you know, Disney, Nickelodeon, these are brands, as you said, that the people know and love and dream of. There's a lot of companies out there, and I know they do a lot of radio advertising, um, which is how people find out about these talent competitions. I think red flags mainly are going to be money. What does it cost to enter this competition? What does it cost to participate in a week-long event? Because... Open calls, really, truly, when I worked at Disney and went around the country doing open calls for Lion King and Little Mermaid and Mary Poppins, they don't cost money. We're doing an open audition looking for children or grown-ups. That's for the Broadway companies of, of the shows at Disney. We didn't. You don't charge actors. You you know, are in a big space and hope that people show up to your audition. So I think you have to really research and see what's legitimate. And if they're asking you to pay exorbitant fees, then you really can't do it. And you have to see also, are they advertising Disney because somebody might've participated in their event 15 years ago and ended up on a Disney show? Are they using that actor's name for publicity for their company to charge all this money. So, you know, you really have to ask yourself a lot of questions. If you're going to call yourself a professional actor or your child a professional actor, you have to be a professional and do as much research as possible because yeah, there's all kinds of scams out there. And I've, you know, I'm careful with where I go speak and where I go sell my book and where I go promote my stuff because I want to make sure that people are getting, you know, getting quality training and networking possibilities without breaking the bank. Yeah. You really, you really have to be aware of those Things and I, that's one of the things I always urge. Um, well, any actor, especially beginning actors, where they're very, very vulnerable, often very naive, and they want mm-hmm. to believe that someone is going to either give them a, a hand up through the business or, or show them some secret that's a shortcut, you know. And of course, we know there there aren't shortcuts, you know. It just takes a lot of work and sometimes a lot of time. Even as you say in your book, it's a marathon, not a sprint. It takes it takes a long time. It's to- true, and you 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 have to network properly. It's one thing to go to a place in New York like Actors Connection or One on One. These are reputable places, and they have, I believe, there is Los Angeles um, branches as well. You're paying, you know, a, a small fee to to meet a casting director one night and do a monologue, but you're not paying, you know, the thousands of dollars up front because that money is obviously going for something and it's probably not for meeting the casting director. So be careful like anything else in any other world, whether it's real estate or, you know, Craigslist, like just don't, you know, don't, don't be naive in this business, especially show business. Right. Well, let's let's branch out a little bit and talk about some of the, the well, there's, there's so much territory you cover in the book. We can't possibly cover it all, but just a few things that I know actors always want to hear about. Let's let's talk some about auditions. I'm asked this question all the time. We you know what what is the 
what is, what, what is the thing you see the most at auditions? I, I, I started to write the book based on people not being prepared. So I think being as prepared as you possibly can be, coming in with your, as my mother says, you know, your personality, you've found your personality, you walk into the audition room, you give a great audition, you're as prepared as you can be, you're open to direction, you don't argue with the casting director, and then you, you give a good audition and get on with your day. It's a big red flag when an actor is arguing in an audition, meaning... <laughs> <laughs> oh, can I had an actor come in last pilot season and say, can I do scene three first and can I do it standing? And I said, no, you have to do scene one first. That's the order of the scenes because it's the emotional journey of the character and the writer has toiled with this script and that's what he or she wants to hear. So if you can't follow simple directions in an audition, how are you possibly, how can I put you forward and think you're going to behave on a movie set when there's no time to even talk to the director? So it's little things. And and it's a bunch of those little things that start to, to populate the do's and don'ts lists, which we have scattered throughout Confessions of a Casting Director. It's do this, but don't do that. Do right. this, don't do that. But the bottom line is being prepared. And not walking into the room with all your luggage, and by that I mean metaphorical and literal, whether it's a rolling suitcase and a messy you know yeah. backpack, but coming in as a professional and leaving the traffic and the you know the metro and all that stuff out the door. So there's so many ways that that actors come in and blow it with it before they've even opened their mouths really. and it's just you know you want to try to do your best right. That's all you can hope and you you've got some terrific videos that you've done this sort of. <laughs> Yeah, the, the, it was really fun to make those promotional videos because uh, one of the videos we did we did was the uh, politics of the waiting room, which has another chapter in the book. And I had two really fun improv actresses, and I gave them the scenario in the waiting room, and I told Becky, you know, don't stop bugging her, bug this other actress, distract her with, you know, the new diamond ring you have, the new boyfriend you have, the new agent you have, and we were laughing so hard at Harper Collins at Lisa Sharkey's office, she's the, the senior VP of creative affairs, that colleagues of hers were coming into her office saying, what is so funny? And she said, we have made these promotional videos for Jen Rudin's book and it's not far from the truth. And, and they're, you know, they're really funny and they're not too far from what I see, which is why we, we made the videos to help people. Do you ever monitor what's going on in the waiting room? I usually have some folks working in the waiting room, either interns or assistants or associates, but often I open the door to the waiting room and I can see everything that's been going on. So a lot of what I'm talking about is distracting each other, whether it's intentional or not intentional. I had a very distracting experience when I was 12 years old and a final callback for a play where a girl I knew and often saw at auditions had just gotten out of the audition and she was like, oh, hey, Jenny, let me go over the scene with you. Let me tell you what the director wants to see. Well, stupidly, I don't even think my mom was with me. I listened to her and whatever I had prepared, she coerced me into doing it her way and it was all wrong and she tricked me. And so that's what I, oh, I remembered the story years later and I share it with every group of actors I talk to or meet with. Be really careful because even saying, hey, how are you? You look great. Did you lose weight? My God, did you change your hair? Whatever you say to another actor, and it's male and female, it's both. It, it, suddenly that actor is like, did I lose weight? Oh, I thought I did. Maybe I didn't. Or, <laughs> you know, there's nothing another actor can say to you in the waiting room that's going to help you. They either have a better agent, got a role you didn't even get an audition for, have a callback for something, seem to have a great boyfriend and you don't. I mean, there's so so you have to be nice, wave hello, 
and then meet them later after the audition. And don't be afraid to say, listen, I need to keep my head in the script. And if you don't mind, let's, you know, let's talk when we're both done. Be a professional. It's not the cafeteria in high school. It really well, isn't. Yeah. And the other thing is that you, you don't want to have, if you're, if you're one of the actors in the waiting room, is you don't want the casting director to come out saying, we're, we're trying to tape in here. You guys are being too loud. Oh, you know? I've done that all the time. I have a wonderful, my associate, Bess Pfeiffer, is a, is a tough a tough cookie from Atlanta. And so anytime I need her to be a bad cop, I'll, I'll say to Bess, go out and tell them to be quiet. Yeah. Uh, because, because somebody is trying to do some acting in some small space with you know a lot of distractions. It's hard enough to go into a room at 4 o'clock and try to do give an acting performance. But when everybody's in the waiting room yelling and screaming and, and you know waving to each other and the kids are, you know, they're strollers, it, it can be very distracting. And we see everything. I have assistants that will come in and tell me how people behaved in the waiting room and who was obnoxious. And I want to hire nice people for the roles I, if I can. I want to hire great actors too, but I'd much rather see a, a nice actor you know, get hired than somebody who's, you know, a, a mean to everybody in the waiting room. Today's casting assistant is tomorrow's casting director. I mean, it doesn't quite happen that fast overnight, but, you know, you just never know who's who's going to be, who's, who's in the waiting room and who's helping Jen Rudin out and who's there because that's, you know, that's tomorrow's bright leaders. So you just have to be careful and also be careful in elevators and also be careful in the bathrooms. I've heard a lot of stuff in bathroom stalls. I've listened to, to people talking and it's, I mean, I think women tend to be more chatty in the bathroom than men, but you know, just be careful and stuff in the elevator, you know, because that, that all has to be saved until you are out the door of the building and then you're back in your car or on the subway and people forget that. And so it, it can be very embarrassing if you've overheard some conversation and, um, you know, and inappropriate. And then it leaves everybody with a, a sort of a feeling about the person. Cause we, we've heard how they really are. Right. And again, all of that's going to be revealed on the set. You know, we're basically hiring actors to send to the movie set, um, the TV set, the commercial set. And so I'm going to get a phone call if somebody misbehaves and they're going to go, God, they were a nightmare on the set. And actors need to remember that everybody is one phone call away. So we can do reference check on anybody very easily based on who's listed on your resume. And if we find out that you didn't behave well on the set, then I'm, you know, you might not get the job and the same goes for the moms as well. Yeah. I bet that is an, an issue with, with kids where the, the mom or uh, a parent has to be on the set. And of course that goes not only just the way you treat other actors, but also the way you work and interact with the crew as well. The crew can be your biggest ally on a set. So it, it really pays to, um, to be, to be nice and be friendly and, and make friends on the set. And also that's how you can get future work is if you get a yeah. reputation of, Hey, this guy, not only was he good, but he was, he was easy to work with. Yeah, but just being being a professional and remembering just because you're an actor and you're really creative doesn't mean that you get to be flaky and late and inappropriate. You know, you have to be a professional actor. So I think people, you know, actors think they can get away with stuff because it's a creative profession. And I just I just don't I don't buy that at all. Actors are always taught or told to make strong choices. You won't go five minutes in an acting class or uh, talking to a group of actors when the, the term strong choices doesn't come up. What does that mean to you? What does it mean when, when you want an actor to make strong choices? 
Sure. Well, a lot of times with auditions, you're you're functioning with as much knowledge as you've been given. So look, if you're given a movie script, the full script, you'll read the script and that will answer many of the questions about the scene that you have to prepare. The who, what, where, when, how, why, the problem in the scene, the conflict, the solution. But many times you're given one or two pages of a scene and you do not have the full script. You don't really know what's going on. So I think that's what we mean when we say make strong choices. Go for it. Even if it's not quite what the director was thinking, we'll admire you more if you went for it in a real organic way than if you didn't do anything specific or interesting. So you want to be specific. You want to make strong choices. And if you do have a casting director or director in the room that says, hey, I absolutely love that, but this time pull it back a little bit, or this time she she's she's pushing more on that, or this time be more sarcastic. So, But do something, because otherwise it's not going to be a very memorable audition. Yeah, and, and that's that can be really tough, especially if you're reading for a smaller role. Because, sure, a because, co-star uh, role where you got one line or two. Yeah, often those those type roles are there to service the plot. And they, you know, a larger role may have a lot of subtext and backstory that you're able to gather from the script. But if you're in for a line or two or three, that just may not be there. Yeah, but you also can do your research if it's Drop Dead Diva. And that's, I know, right. filming in Atlanta or it's Nashville. One of my favorite shows that shoots in Nashville. You have to know, like, okay, well, it's Nashville. So it's a one-hour show. So I should figure out the tone. It's not a half-hour comedy on Nickelodeon. You have to use YouTube, Spotify, Netflix, Hulu, whatever you need to do to even just try to watch a clip of the show to understand the nuances and the sensibility of the show. So my my dear friend went in for Orange is the New Black and doesn't have a subscription to Netflix. And I said to her, first of all, for $7.99, get a subscription to Netflix. And second of all, you, at, you have to watch the show to understand the tone. So even though you only have one line, you've got to understand, you know, who are some of the directors who've directed episodes. So you have to do as much not be lazy. Do not be a lazy actor. Do as much research as you can. Let me jump over to a completely different topic, and that's pilot season. I know you cover pilot season in your book. Let me read to you something. I'm on, on a site called uh, Stage 32, and just get your reaction to this, because I think it's inst- could be instructive to people who hear that they should go to L.A. for pilot season. And I'll I'll leave the name out here, but this just happened in the last day or two. And this young lady, an actress, posted this in this forum on Stage 32. And she said, I'm new to the L.A. area, originally from blank. Everyone told me I needed to be in L.A. for pilot season. So I'm here and I have no idea what to do next. Can someone help me? I'm getting I'm getting my reel together. But other than that, I am lost. Uh, You know, when I read things like that, my heart just drops. You know, yeah. Well, um, she needs to read my book. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> somebody needs to post to tell her to read my book because there is a, a entire chapter on pilot season. There's also an entire chapter on L.A. versus New York, uh, and also this week in backstage, uh, Secret Agent Man, one of the, my favorite columns, he talks he's debunked pilot season myths for the past three three weeks in the magazine and you know one of them is you can't just drop into LA knowing nobody and think you're going to get some pilot season auditions Uh, my advice to her would be to go back to where you're from get your reel together do some local stuff do some co-star roles and maybe maybe (laughs) maybe go to LA at some point but and LA can be a very lonely place I lived there for 
I lived there for five years, but I worked at the Walt Disney Company. So I had a job and an office and a place to go every day. But for an actor to just show up in LA, you're better off to stay where you where you know people, you run into people, it's people that you've worked with and, and get some work there. So I hope, uh, really, if you can go in and... <laughs> <laughs> tell her to buy my book and she's she's spending money and and time and you know it's very lonely despite the nice weather i don't know where this notion developed that pilots are this panacea of casting opportunities for people who don't have a lot of experience or don't know anyone or, or well, don't even have an agent. Well, it's the first time to meet anybody because we're so busy. We can barely stay afloat with, with the actors that we know. The roles are changing every day. Genders are changing. The producers don't know what they want. So the last thing I have time to do is meet some new, somebody new unless there's unless it's a child. If it's a, if it's a young role, I'll meet any seven-year-old boy if, if the role is open because that's my job. But with grown-ups, it's a lot, lot harder. Um, so I, like I said, I hope you go in and tell her to send her a link to the Amazon link for the book. Are you seeing self-taped auditions as a, as a factor in the New York market at all? Or, or is that just more something that's really relegated to the regional markets like where we are in Texas? Yeah, I think it depends on how much time there is to do the actual casting. Um, obviously, technology is huge. There's a chapter in the book on it. There's a chap. There's there's uh, notes in my book about how to self tape, how to give a good self tape. It's tricky with technology because while it's great on the one hand, now we're everybody's expected to tape themselves for an audition. Well, who has a tripod and a decent camera and lighting and a backdrop and what is the tone of the scene? How how much? What, do I dial this up or, or not? So now actors are expected to self-tape. Now, on the one hand, it's a whole lot cheaper than how it used to be when we had to FedEx tapes back and forth. That was very expensive for talent agencies and managers and casting offices to receive these FedEx tapes and watch them. By FedEx tapes, I mean, you know, half-inch tapes from, you know, most of the 90s and sure. um, until very recently. It lets a lot of people compete for a role. The question is, who's going to watch the tape? Is there a casting associate or assistant who is sitting there all day and can log these tapes? Who's going to watch your tape? I've had situations where people want to self-tape on stuff during pilot season, and I have to be honest with you, I try to get to it over the weekend, and it's not the same as being in the room meeting the casting director and the director. It really isn't the same, but it is a really good first step. And often somebody will self-tape on something if it's a movie and there's time, and then I'll call them and say, you should come to New York for a callback to meet the director. Um, I watched your tape. I liked it. Or I'll watch your tape and say, can you make some adjustments and retape? There are taping facilities around the country where you can pay. I know a guy in Savannah who does it. Um, you know, there's there's people who can tape you, which is much better than your husband taping you or your wife. And sure. it's, it's just better all around. So the thing with self-tapes that's really awful is that if the person who's reading with the actor is overacting and louder than the actor, you want to keep the reader, whoever's reading the other lines, really quiet and simple and it's not about them it's about your audition so hopefully you know that's that's one of the things I can't stand when I see a bad self-tape because how can I show that to a director when the actor is upstaged by (laughs) by this mom or something reading so it's, (laughs) it's definitely the way of the world and we have to embrace it but 
we have to do it again, trying to be professional as much as we can be. Again, I'm talking with Jen Rudin, casting director and author of Confessions of a Casting Director, a terrific book. Actors, I'm going to put a link to this at actorstalkpodcast.com, several places where you can pick it up. It, it has a lot of outstanding information on the casting process and on auditioning and a lot of information, whether you're a child actor or an adult, it's definitely a book that you want to have in your library. So that, again, is Confessions of a Casting Director with Jen Rudin. Jen, one of the questions I get that comes to me most frequently, how old is too old to become an actor? What I've figured out over time and in talking to a lot of people is that there are a lot of people who deferred their dreams. Either they were they didn't think they could make a living acting or life took them another way or their parents weren't supportive and now they're 30 or 40 or 50 and the dream still lives. How would you advise someone who is in that position and they want to start now? Sure. Well, listen, I think everybody should pursue your dreams. It's never too late. But I don't think at age 40, you can necessarily become a figure skater, an Olympic figure <laughs> skater, an Olympic skier. So you want to be realistic. Look, if you're in your 50s and you're trying to start your acting career, you're going to be auditioning or you're competing with men in their 50s who have been acting for, you know, their whole life. So you have to ask yourself what you want to do. If you want to start acting, as I said, and keep it local and do some plays and have a great time with, you know, the local production of Annie Get Your Gun, that's really fun. But to really uh, take it to the next level, you've got to be able to have the financial prowess to uh, get these headshots and the resume and the reel and take the classes. So, you know, I think you can, but you want to also have manageable expectations. And that's hard to say when somebody is talking about pursuing their dream. You got to kind of keep perspective, um, but it's never too late. It really isn't too late, but I am not a prophet. I cannot predict who is going to make it. I don't know what the answer is. I think it's up to the individual and you've got to have a spouse or a family that doesn't think you're nuts. <laughs> <laughs> nuts to be doing this yeah, um, at yeah. your age and you know and all that I also want to talk a little bit about full-time jobs I sure. mean got to have a survival job when you're a young actor in New York or LA or, or any big city and you've got to be clear with your boss that you are an actor it can't be a, it can't be a surprise if you have to run out at 2:20 in the afternoon one day and you're not back till four o'clock so I would say the same thing for a grown-up trying to pursue their acting later on you know make sure your boss is supportive and knows that you know, you might have a bit of a wonky schedule for a while because nothing is more shocking than to find out that your employee has been trying to do acting uh, and then they're going to feel like you're not you're not paying attention to your main job. So it's going to be different for everybody, though. And sleeping in the car just doesn't make it for very long. You no, know? It's, it's, you know? it's, it can be a very glamorous story later on. Uh, I've read some stuff. Again, I'm a huge fan of Backstage, and I read it every week. I actually have a column called Speak Easy, which is uh, about oh, cool. voiceover casting, and I'll, I'll post that on my Facebook page, which is oh, Jen Rudin Casting. But regardless, somebody said he was sleeping in his car when he first got to L.A., and you know that's all fun and glamorous when somebody's winning an Academy Award years later. You have to, again, be really realistic about your expectations and make a budget. I talk in chapter one of Confessions of a Casting Director, the initial investment about making a budget and seeing how much money you have to put into your acting career 
and how long are you going to give it? I mean, that's the flip thing too. You can't say, oh, I'm going to give it five years of grad school and then I'll have a master's degree. Five years of an acting career, the whole first year is spent gaining fans. You've got to get to know people locally. Michael Kirsten is one of the agents quoted in my Ask the Agent section. He's a VP at Hardin Curtis Associates in New York. He'll be very happy to know that I'm quoting him. And he said <laughs> the first year he meets these students right out of college and grad school. And he says, you know, your first year is about gaining fans, meeting the cast directors, doing a good job in their room, doing showcases, networking, and that way you're not desperate every time you have an audition with one of these cast directors. You're working, you're making friends with them, and it'll all come from there. You may not be right for the first part, but then they'll have you in two months later for something else. So I think the idea of gaining fans, it does not happen overnight. You've got to meet people, you've got to network, and I've always remembered that when he said that to me. It makes a lot of sense. It, it does make a lot of sense. I, remember, I, I lived in L.A. for 15 years, and and loved it. And I remember when I arrived there, I, I knew this was you know, the right decision to go there. But it took me a year for my head to stop spinning. You know, yeah. I mean, it was just such a different, uh, different place and a different culture and getting to meet people and getting to physically find your way around and yeah, understand how long it takes to get from place to place. Nobody actually understands L.A. until you've spent time there. And that's why I devoted a whole chapter between L.A. and New York. Nobody, I mean, look, I grew up in New York City not driving a car. So for me, when I first moved there, I was shocked. I had to drive. I had to park. I had to put gas in my car. I was a girl from New York City. But regardless, the distances are huge. And you have to also manage your expectations in terms of how much can you accomplish in one day in Los Angeles? How many meetings and auditions can you get to? In New York, you really can pound the pavement. You really can get to a few a day and manage to grab a slice of pizza. Anybody that's thinking of moving to LA, I always say, just read the chapter in the book because most of my chapter is spent about driving, parking, um, traffic, but it's not a joke. You really need to leave really early. It's better to sit in your car, you know, half an hour early than it is to arrive late sure, and sure. be flaky with the traffic. It's oh, not cool. It's not okay, you, you've been very patient and I appreciate it, but I'm going to let you go. I have one last thing to ask you. If someone is interested in becoming a casting director, how does one go about that? What should be the, the initial steps that they would take? Would it be to intern with a working casting director or is there... Is there some other way to go about it? Sure. So casting is really about having an opinion. You don't really get a degree in it. It's not like a directing degree, an MFA in directing or acting. It is about having an opinion. The Casting Society of America is a, is our organization. It's not our union. That's a separate thing. But the CSA, and you can Google Casting Society of America, often lists cast directors looking for interns and so on and so forth. I think trying to help out at some local auditions will really help you understand if you want to be a casting director. You have to remove the glamour of... Being in a room, I was lucky enough to be with Peter Bogdanovich last summer on his new movie, Squirrels to the Nuts. Being in the room with Peter Bogdanovich, it, bringing in actors for him to meet is the probably one of, and being at the premiere with him mm. is the glamorous part of casting. But I think you have to understand that you don't just become a casting director. It is tons of work. It is, it's, um, avail sheets, checking where actors are, finding out if they're interested in the film, making lists, scheduling auditions, confirming appointments, and then managing the waiting room. So honestly, I, I send most of my interns to deal with the waiting room first. I give them a clipboard. I give them the schedule of the audition day and say, okay, you're in charge. If you can keep order in this waiting room and, and order the actors of how they're going to come in and make sure they have everything prepared and their photo and their resume, well, then you've already done a good part of casting, which is managing crowds of people. 
people. It's like working in retail. So I think if you've worked in retail, you'll enjoy casting. But I do think you have to take the glamour out of it and realize it's you're constantly searching for new actors. You're a hired consultant to the project. You're not the producer or the director or the writer. You're hired to bring them choices of actors for their project. But you don't have the final say. You are involved in the conversation, but you ultimately want your director to be happy with the choices you've brought him. So it's tricky. But I do think helping out at local auditions, especially some local theaters, may not have a casting director. So the auditions might be just organized by, you know, somebody who works at the theater. And then um, there are internships available. You just kind of have to learn on the job. There's no, there's no book. My book is not a how-to be a casting director book. Sure, My book sure. is the subtitle, which is Secrets from Inside the Audition Room to Help Actors. Help Actors Land Any Role with Secrets from Inside the Audition Room. That's that's the uh, subtitle of my book, and that's really what the book's about. But, right. you know, I also think casting directors need to, you've got to have a photographic memory of actors you've seen in things and remembering them. And um, But it's not, it's not glamorous. It's very fulfilling when you get an actor cast in a project and you've believed in them from day one. That's the fulfilling part, but it's a, t- it's a ton of work um, that oftentimes can feel thankless depending <laughs> on the project. So. Well, and frankly, yeah. if you're an actor and you think you want to be a casting director, you better really make sure that you're no longer an actor because I, as much as I adore having actors around, they're great to be readers and they're great to help out in the waiting room. But you know, if you still want to be auditioning, you really can't work in casting because it's a real conflict. You'll be frustrated when you see other actors coming in for roles. You'll want to be auditioning. And frankly, Cashinger needs a solid person there to help. They don't need an actor reading Variety asking for advice because trust me, I've had plenty of people working who really said they weren't an actor but still wanted to be one. And you've got to be very clear that it's a career you're choosing and that you're not going to just be working for the casting office hoping you're going to network with them. So I, I say that really, I'm, I'm very, I'm very serious about that because cast director will be very angry if they find out that you interned only because, you know, you want more roles. You really need to, you know, right. want to pursue it as a career. Ah, Jim, On that some, negative such, note. <laughs> no, no, such great information. Is there anything else you'd, you'd like to uh, leave us with before sure. we wrap this um, up? Definitely check out www.jenruden.com. You can um, follow me on Twitter at rudinjen, R-U-D-I-N-J-E-N. And um, like the Jen Rudin casting page on Facebook. That's a great way to keep in touch. But most of all, definitely grab a copy of the book, whether you do it on you know Amazon, digital, Kindle, iPad, and read it and send me a note and let me know what you think or post an, post a review on the Amazon page for the book because that always helps. And I hope you guys learn a lot. And I wrote it for actors. I wrote it for you guys. So enjoy. Well, it's a, it's a terrific book, Actors, written by Jen Rudin, who knows of what she speaks, not only from the point of view of a casting director, but also given her background as a working actor as well. Jen Rudin, thank you so much for being on Actors Talk. I really do appreciate it. And we'll put all the links to where people can find Confessions of a Casting Director, Help Actors Land Any Role with Secrets from Inside the Audition Room. Jen Rudin, Thanks thank so you. so much. Good all night. Right. Take Bye. care. God bless. Bye. Once again, my sincere thanks to casting director Jen Rudin. Her book, Confessions of a Casting Director, Help Actors Land Any Role with Secrets from Inside the Audition Room. That is uh, published by HarperCollins, Harper Collins Publishers. 
Oh, man. Again, I do apologize for the quality of this particular audio, my voice, that is. Wouldn't you know, I just got an offer today to narrate an audio book. Well, I... <laughs> I hope this clears up so I can get that done. Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, I'll have to save what's coming next for another time because I just don't think I can get through it. I do want to send out a special thanks to Leanne Morris. Leanne is the writer and producer of a short film called Tattered Blanket that I was happy to act in a few weeks ago and really uh, looking forward to seeing how that turns out. Thank you, Leanne. Thank you. Listeners of Actors Talk Podcast, God bless you. Say a prayer for me. I need, I need some help to get uh, to get through this. My son's getting married later in the month, and I kind of like to have a voice for greeting people at that event. So, God bless you all. Hope to see you in the movies. This is Tommy saying so long. That's a wrap. Oh boy.